welcome to What Do You Think About X. First of all, we want to say a huge thanks to Chris Tyberg for making our brilliant new intro music. I'd also like to thank our guest this week, Jonathan Rose, who's guiding us through a fascinating conversation on corruption. Please feel free to reach out on Twitter at AboutXPodcast or check out other episodes wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to another week of What Do You Think About X? And this week's X is corruption. I guess we're in danger of getting really vague with that. So I was thinking, you know, as and I were talking about, you know, all the things that come out recently. I don't know if anyone's seen the Capital in the 21st Century documentary based on the book by Thomas Piketty. It was on Amazon a couple of weeks ago. Obviously talks a little bit inevitably about offshore tax havens and tax avoidance. And corruption's been in the news recently quite a lot with, you know, the COVID contracts between government and some companies. And people talk about these things as corruption. And what, you know, I guess we wanted to stop and think, well, what does that really mean? How does it help us? How can we apply corruption, you know, for, for good? And so I happen to know I have a colleague who is a master of corruption, not not in that sense. <laughs> You're already selling me, Simon. You're already selling me. <laughs> so, so Jonathan Rose, uh, Tell us about, a little bit about yourself and, and how you kind of work with corruption or such things. Uh, well, I don't know if I work with corruption. Good Lord. Uh, well, anyway, yes, as you say, my name's Jonathan Rose. Uh, I'm an associate professor at the MU, uh, and one of my specialisms is in corruption. Uh, not doing corruption, trying to, if anything, stop people doing corruption uh, with mixed successes. I did have a student come to me after, because I teach on it as well, he says afterwards, I decided, actually, I just want to make like loads of money. I want to be an arms dealer. How do I get into that? And I said, oh, don't do that. But if you want to, this is how you do it. Right. <laughs> but but don't. But if you want to, you know. So you're a bit like Snape. <laughs> you like defense against the dark arts. Uh, well, I think. There's, to the extent that one who applies quantitative methods in the abstract to the subject of corruption can be, yes, <laughs> exactly like that. Beautiful. I like that. So I guess we've talked about this before, right, the corruption. And one of the things that we did, we, we chatted about, we did a podcast for our students, didn't we, in the reading week. We did uh, indeed. It was you kind of invited me on to talk about it. And so I thought I'd return the favour. <laughs> and uh, ask you to come on and talk to us about this. I don't want to get too simplistic about this, but do we do we actually need to define corruption before we start talking about specific examples of it? Is it that clear cut what corruption is? Because it seems to me like it has a sort of moral power, but that doesn't always align to its kind of legal force. So I don't know. Is that something that you think would be useful for us to do right now? So I, I think that... It's really important to know what you're talking about. And you're absolutely right when you say there's a kind of moral dimension to it, because uh, some people, they, they use it very carelessly. So you so often hear people go, oh, like, but they're just corrupt. And what they mean is, I don't like that person. Um, so I think de defining it in some way is really helpful. The problem is, uh, I can give you quite like literally right now but it would take a long time nine separate definitions of corruption that map onto each other differently um so yes it's really important to define it but it's also super hard why is it so super hard 
because uh, everybody wants their own uh, definition. The word itself is like two and a half thousand years old, and the concept itself is like much older than that. Um, like literally some of the first written documents we have from anywhere in the world are more or less about corruption. <laughs> so it, it's been going on for like 5,000 years of people having this idea that actually corruption is a bad thing and trying to formalize that. I mean, I imagine it existed before. It's not like some dude invented writing and then someone was like, I'm proper going to get in on corruption. I'm going to like start doing unethical things. Um, so I think just in that space of a few thousand years, like people take different approaches. Yeah, I think so. Because for me, the, the most common form that you kind of run into in mass media and what people seem to talk about is politicians, right? It's sort of politicians taking money when they shouldn't or doing stuff they shouldn't do with their kind of special privileges, right? So that that's, but I understand that that's not an all-encompassing definition of corruption. Um, but it's the very real, yeah, I think the, the kind of sharpest idea of it that I think you know, the most people would kind of bump into. Yeah. Um, so one of the, I guess, sort of live issues in defining corruption is around whether it only applies to like the public sector, whether corruption is like quite narrowly in the public sector or whether it's in the public and private sector. So there's some definitions like uh, this one's from the 60s, uh, J.S. Nye, who said that corruption is um, that uh, it's behavior which deviates from the formal duties of a public role because of private regarding pecuniary or status gains or violates the excise of certain types of private regarding influence. So it's really explicitly like it's against the public role. So it's natural to think of politicians because they're people mm -hmm. with power in public roles. Um, but there are other definitions which are much broader and are, are both public and private. Um, but I guess because so much of the focus is on the public sector, uh, it's kind of natural that you immediately think of politicians taking bribes and things. So, yeah, because that makes me think then, that's really interesting, actually, thinking of it like that. Is it only the public sector? So my question would be then, would you say, like, I promote someone in my team at work in a, in a private organisation because actually their parent or something happens to be higher up the food chain in me in the same organisation and that's going to do me favours? Is that corruption then? Does that Because I feel like that kind of is. Uh I mean, then that becomes why it's so important to have a, a definition yeah. in mind, because there are lots of definitions of corruption that would quite happily say that it is corrupt. Um, and at the same time, there are lots that would say, actually, that is just impossible for it to be corrupt. Um, and it, it kind of matters where you draw that line as to whether it can be or not. It's interesting that in the private sector, so much of the time, we, like nepotism is expected it's like the default and almost like nepotism has a moral value so you see all these like traditional company names like john smith and sons and they put it on but that's just saying like look at how good we are at nepotism we kept it up for a few hundred years <laughs> and people go well this is brilliant oh do you know this is business in Jap japan where it's the same family since the 800s and you go 1200 years of nepotism uh, and maybe that's why it's a little hotel 
but you know people know about only because it's old um who knows <laughs> maybe there's just... a reason paris hilton isn't running that chain of hotels <laughs> May- maybe nepotism wouldn't have worked out well it's interesting to me so you've said this public private sector distinction because that speaks to you know perennial problem with you know, public sector workers or politicians and the fact that they've still got private interests right i mean that's a, a class i mean in political philosophy that's a classic concern of plato right when he just designs these three metals and, and obviously today that so seems so emphasized right when you've got or had trump as president and various different examples so is it that we understand that corruption in the way that sort of Adams defined it can go on in private sort of circles, but there's less at stake in those circles than there is when it's it's public. Well, it's kind of interesting to think about what it would mean for there to be less at stake. Um, if you're thinking about like rigging LIBOR or um, like really, uh, we were mentioning briefly before before we started recording about um, maybe people short positions might be fundamentally bad for like everything that's going on in the world right now. We're talking about tens of thousands of real people who will lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take a really aggressive short position and then you try to make that real, um, these are real people losing their actual jobs. And so I, I'm kind of I'm sympathetic because obviously politicians have power that they can force you to be subject to. But at the same time, in the private sector, it's not so easy to say, oh, well, you could just shop at a different shop because you could. I don't have to go to Tesco. I could go to Sainsbury's instead if, I th- if I'm unhappy with their business practice. But if I lose my job, if people in my family lose their job, then what what difference did it make? I'm quite interested as well in what you've said before, because I don't, and I don't th- because I, th- I don't think that people would automatically think this, right? Because you said that corruption goes back, or the concept of corruption goes back five thousand years, right? And so immediately I think, well, does that mean that corruption can only exist as a concept when you've got civilization in, you know, in terms of formalized laws, right, or sovereignty, or uh, some kind of yeah formalized laws right so does that mean that corruption can't exist prior to that and i mean because it seems so strange i guess but then it's obvious of course the idea of corruption is thousands of years old right just as the idea of justice is or you know right and wrong or the good is so i guess that would be my question is corruption something only exists when you've got a set of formalized laws or civilization in that sense and also what you know what is what were one of some of these early ideas of of corruption have you got any sort of hand uh so does it require some sense of civilization possibly because it certainly requires some kind of power differential you have to be able to offer someone something that they want so you have to have privileged access to something Otherwise, I, I don't see how you could have a notion of corruption. Um, so like way before society exists as a whole, then that's problematic. But certainly you could have corruption in a small village. 
So you could have a group of hunter gatherers who had confederations between them and they agreed to mostly stay in one place, but branch out for hunting and gathering. And then they would have asymmetric access to resources and things. So I think pretty much at that point, basically, as soon as you've got a village elder, you definitely can have corruption. And it probably looks like that was like 80,000 years ago. Certainly by the time people are making flutes, you can have corruption. Um, whether that's corruption because like you're the dude who plays the flute and you desperately need stuff. So you're trying to make out like, oh, the flute's ace, like everyone wants to listen to it. Or what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a flutist. Um, but in terms of when people start writing it down, um, oftentimes so it starts off like as a very moralistic thing. Um, and that's because the word corruption only comes in like sort of in with the Latin. Uh, corruption itself is from the Latin, from core, which means like all together, and rumper, which means like to break. So it's like corruption is when something's altogether broken. Um, we get very similar ideas uh, from like Aristotle. Um, you might be aware he's got a book called Generation and Corruption. And that's he's not talking about corruption in like a public policy sense, but just it's about things breaking down to their parts. So it's something, see, this is also the problem with the word being so old. We hold on to that as well. So corruption has this like medical uh, kind of overtones that like someone's body has become damaged. Like it's like there's pus or something in them. Uh, sometimes the word corruption is used for that. And it, it was more strongly even in the 1700s we get idea of like words being corrupted, computers being corrupted. Um, and these are like that Aristotelian idea of like things breaking down. Um, and then we get corruption in the kind of public policy sense, um, which is more, th the Romans were a bit more specific in terms of their language, but that's also the kind of thing that they were um, dealing with. And Cicero's got some great stuff on it um, about like the problems of corruption and what have you. But I've talked too much. I mean, I can tell you exactly what Cicero said, because I think it's really interesting. But otherwise, it will become a whole it'll become a whole thing on Cicero. Um, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's up to you. How much do you oh. like Cicero? Sounds like another episode that I feel like we, we, we could squeeze a whole episode out there. Don't, don't spoil the fans. Um, well, yeah, go on, that's cool. No, yeah, because I'm just thinking it's really that's really interesting in the actual meanings of the word, because, again, yeah, like I. That corruption in in terms of like corrupted discs and computers. I made the joke at the start about being a warlock. Like there's obviously connotations with like destructive, negative magic and things in in fantasy and kind of sci-fi stuff. Yeah, I suppose I think we were yeah we really thought about it in the in that very specific confined example. I think what I gave at the start really like thinking about politics and public policy and things like that, but. And I suppose that's then it kind of feeds back on itself in that you're, yeah, the kind of broader description is things breaking down or being being broken down, and that's I guess the yeah we're then implying that there's there's things going on and like you said a certain politician you might say they're corrupt but actually you're just yeah because you don't like them but maybe that's because you do really think that they they are making a mockery of the systems that are in place and things like that. But it seems to me that like so I sort of feel like people listen to this, you know, they're going to be expecting a, a conversation about about politics. That's that's kind of inevitable. Right. Uh, perhaps maybe about business. Uh, 
and because it, and there's got to be, there's a full there's a deceit to it isn't there there's a lie to it so you know when i think about today you know response to political scandal and stuff like that it seems that it's it seems i guess it's very anecdotal it seems so much more common or if not so common you know 20 years ago or so it felt like political scandal corruption still had some normative force right and the example i always use for this is like you know bill clinton you know lying about getting some blurry under a desk right so and that was you know arguably other things going on but arguably that was enough to kind of end his his career and these days it, it doesn't seem to have that same force so do, do you think we're as a society becoming less demanding and so we have more corruption or we're just sort of fatigued with it because it it, it seems everywhere or you know is it part of the problem that we can't define it but we sort of want to because we have to because there has to be a distinction right we've talked about this before there has to be a distinction between a society for example such as north korea right and someone like norway so we do want a concrete definition but we can't access it is that kind of the problem so i think part of the problem is um Part of the problem in terms of why like Bill Clinton suffers and yet Trump doesn't is that um, like a, a increasing like deep association with partisanship. So there's some really good research that one of my friends did. Uh, she's called Anne-Marie Walter um, at the University of Nottingham. And they did an experimental study in America presenting exactly the same case um, of a politician who'd done something unethical or corrupt. Um, but they changed the party label. So he was either a Democrat or a Republican. Um, and particularly for Republicans, you get really sharp divides that the Republican was, well, he was just misunderstood. Uh, of course, you know, well, boys will be boys. Uh, but as soon as they, the, like, essentially the same group of people, obviously you can't do it with the same person, but a, a very equivalent group of people, as soon as that person's a Democrat, it's wicked and it's evil. Um so that that partisanship has become, um, I guess, a more important force. Uh, and I think that's part of the explanation. Otherwise, um, I guess sometimes there is a sense of fatigue um, and Trump really capitalized on this. Um, and the number of times you saw him get accused of breaking the law and instead of instead of lying about it, instead of trying to hide it, I remember he was accused of it was something like uh, collaborating with international people against the United States or something. Um, so he just went out and said exactly the same thing in front of all of the cameras in front of Marine Force One. Um, and then it's kind of like, well, OK, what happens now? Because um, there was always this norm that you were supposed to hide it, like you'd done something mm. morally wrong, you'd been found out, you were supposed to try and hide it, and then eventually you get caught, and then it blows up as a big scan. He just came out and did it again. It's like, yeah, I broke the law like that, and I'm about to do it again. Um, I don't know. what. How do you even respond to that? So, I don't know. But I think corruption as a whole still has a... People still get really mad about that. Uh, and so long as people get mad about it, we still have some power to regulate what's going on in the public sector. The the real worry for me is that it, regardless of how people define it, that they just start accepting it. And I think that's when we're in real trouble. 
So, so on that then, I think that leads us to, leads me to the question: How does it affect me then, as Joe Average, right? Just a member of the public. Does it? How bad is it? Like, does it actually affect me? Because I think you, yeah, we talked about people because people get angry about it, but people get angry about passports being blue and and fish and things, and they're turning out not to be as important as they they were made out to be. Is it that important? Does it affect me? On a day-to-day basis, or actually, is it is it kind of blown up headline fodder? So, uh, I guess the 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 short answer is yes, it affects you, but the extent to which it affects you is really conditional. Um, so, let's say test and trace at the minute in the UK has just been a disaster. Uh, it has not delivered what it was supposed to deliver. It's never worked how it was supposed to. All the time we learn that uh, shortcuts have been made, people who are unqualified have been put up to the task of doing the job. Not all of this is corrupt, but there has certainly been, uh, I guess, inappropriately close connections between people who were put into roles um, with the people who put them into that role. Uh, That's maybe a a very nice, safe way of saying it. Um, Now, let's say that that is because of corruption and we we don't need we can argue about whether it is or not but if we say it is then okay we lost 22 billion pounds because of corruption well that's a very large amount of money you work out how much that is for every taxpayer to pay back a lot of money but you're not going to go hungry tonight because of it um you're going to wake up in the morning you're going to be able to have your coffee you're going to be able to go to work uh fine so how much did it affect you on the one hand a lot uh, that's money that you're adding uh, that you're going to have to pay back at some point, or, or if not you, then uh, your children or grandchildren, whatever. Um, and so on the one hand, you might say we're in an extremely privileged position that we can tolerate relatively large amounts of corruption because the financial losses are never going to ruin us. Uh, we have a sufficient safety net. And then we could compare it to, say, someone, uh, say someone who lives in Zimbabwe who a police officer pulls them over even though they've done nothing all wrong and says i'm gonna take your car off you unless you give me ten dollars well that could be a ruinous amount of money for them and so we might suffer enormously very large amounts of money and yet at the same time still go to bed tonight wake up eat food you know be as as happy as it's possible to be in the current climate uh, as happy as the government uh, laws dictate that we are allowed to be and no happier. Um, but <laughs> so in in some way, yes, it, it matters enormously because it robs us of a future that we could have had where we were healthier and happier, but by degree. Um, and the the poorer your country is, the more severe that is, the, the bigger that differential. I'm glad you said that because we were talking so much there about monetary costs and you said healthier and happier because it seems to me that the cost isn't just monetary though is it right because if you normalize a certain mindset a certain way of thinking uh that's so you know like such an excessive self-interest then you isn't this another one of the costs that you create a society in w- in which trust becomes a rare commodity like if you're raising uh, children within that society, then you've got to think about, well, should I raise my child to be a good person or should I raise my child to 
be successful in this hard world, right? So the cost the cost isn't just monetary, is it? Right? I mean, no, clearly there's uh, non-monetary costs, um, and there are lots of different kinds as well. Um, so undermining that social trust is problematic for so many reasons. Um, and there's a, a really nice uh, article by a, a guy from Sweden called Bo Rothstein um, about trust and social dilemmas. And he says he was in Russia uh, giving a talk and one of the tax officials from Russia came to speak to him because in Sweden, almost all the tax that should be paid is paid. And the guy from Russia was saying this is not at all like what we deal with. And as they talked about it, it turns out that the issue really is lots of people want to pay tax because they want better roads and they want better hospitals and they want these public services. But they don't have faith that that money will actually go to the things that they want it to. So if you pay tax, you're just a sucker who's lining someone else's pockets because it's going to get taken and it's not going to build that road and it's not going to build that hospital. And so in that situation, I myself cannot change it. I can't affect the government. I can't pay for the road. So what do I do? Well, I just keep the money for myself. I pay as little tax as I possibly can. Um, and maybe that's legal or maybe it's through other means. Uh, but I, I do everything I can to minimize my tax burden because fundamentally my family has to rely on me uh, because we can't rely on the government anymore because they'll steal them. And so when that belief comes in, and actually what matters is that belief rather than the objective truth of it, although clearly in some countries it's also objectively true, um, then your society's got a really big problem. Yeah, and that's really interesting because like, you know, we talk, what is corruption? But I guess part of that is also who, I mean, who gets to define it? You know, you write about it. So is this like a an academic exercise, but it clearly social norms define I guess what corruption is and isn't and it's one of those secondary things isn't it you've got to have an idea of right and wrong in order for then corruption to exist you've got an idea of principle of, of the good and and then from that you get corruption so and, and we've talked a lot you've talked a lot here about people getting mad well you've mentioned it once once or twice maybe a lot was this probably exaggeration but people getting mad so that implies that it's got it's it's a it's a sort of it's the people it's about the people and they get to define it in their own reactions to it but i mean it's is the sort of things that you write and you read do you think that that's having a real effect on what how people view corruption like what's the biggest influencer on how how we define corruption then so i think uh, the definitions themselves, well, I mean, they come from lots of different places, right? There's like public or, or definitions that attempt to capture what the public thinks. Uh, and that's particularly so from de definitions in dictionaries. Um, I, I, I couldn't tell you what the current dictionary says. I can tell you what the better dictionary says, the one Samuel Johnson wrote, because he more or less nailed it. We don't need anything else uh, other than the fact he didn't include any swear words. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried looking in Samuel Johnson's dictionary, even swear words that definitely existed at the time that were in common use at the time. Not a single swear word in there that I can find. Um, but anyway, 
so those are those are trying to capture what the public themselves kind of uh, have in their mind. And Samuel Johnson defines corruption, at least the public policy side of it. He also talks about matter or puss in a sore and things, the way things break down into their parts. Um, he says that corruption is wickedness or perversion of principles, loss of integrity. Um, so it's this like ultra moral definition um, that there's there's a, a moral sense of what's right and what's wrong. And that was probably quite widely shared at the time because it's going to be ground in quite a really strongly Anglican view of the world, like of of the way that the world should work. Um, as, a, as an Englishman in the late 1700s, he knows exactly how the world should work. They all agree on what the principles are, like the, the intelligentsia. Um, and, and so I know what the principles are, so I know what the perversion of those principles are. Um, that, that moral view has not really gone away, even as our moral standards have become more complex, as different moral perspectives have come to be seen as legitimate and, and worthy of respect. Um, I think I'm, I'm quite prepared to be wrong, but I would easily imagine that Samuel Johnson was probably not a pluralist in this sense, uh, because I don't think pretty much anyone was. Uh, this is kind of not long after Isaac Newton's having to hide the fact that he's a Christian, but he's not 100 percent sold on the Trinity because that would be heresy. Um, so I'm going to go on a limb and say that they were not pluralists in terms of their belief systems. Um, and, and now we are much more pluralistic, and so that becomes problematic. But it still kind of captures what the public has in their mind, I think, that they have this, that corruption is what's wicked. Um, academics tend not to like definitions like that because it becomes really difficult to apply. Like I could say, OK, my ethical position says that that behavior is bad. And you can say, well, I disagree. Um, maybe Adam's a hardcore deontologist. And he's going to go, no, like this is this is in, this is uh, this is wicked. This is a perversion of principles. And Simon's there going, no, 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 mate, I'm a utilitarian. That's not true. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, and I'm going to come in as a relativist and say you're both wrong, but for different <laughs> reasons. Um, so academics have gone really quite specific with it. Like so it violates some formal duty. It leads to some pecuniary or status gain. So there are things that are in some ways quite easy to evaluate in the abstract. Like I know what my formal duties are because they're written down somewhere. I know what a monetary gain is. I know what a status gain is. Um, it can talk about the motive of gaining some advantage more or less personal. Well, I know what personal gain is. And so these definitions have got really quite specific, maybe sometimes unhelpfully so. Um, and then kind of the third class that sits alongside it um is like third sector bodies so people like transparency international they define corruption as the abuse of entrusted power for private gain um which is a little bit more specific than saying it's that which is wicked um and less specific than saying it's that which matches these criteria um at least that's how they formally define it i have problems with the corruption perceptions index but uh we, we, you do not need my three-hour cycle on <laughs> measuring corruption. <laughs> well, I know because there's a couple of things I want to ask, and I, and I know that Ads wants to talk about this um, hedge fund thing, but I, just a kind of couple of quick things, I guess. One of the things that always like, worried me 
what that's complex about the, the term corruption is that somehow when things get normalized, you know, uh, injustices, whether get normalized to the point of legalized, right? Does that mean I can't call something like, you know, lobbying or gerrymandering or even excess on my insurance policy, you know, or an admin fee uh, for moving house or whatever, you know, can I, it seems that I can call those corruption in one framing of it being wicked, but it, that has no legal power and no legal pressure. Yeah, I mean, clearly, if it's legal, uh, then the fact that you don't like it doesn't have any legal weight. Um, it perhaps has much less moral weight as well, because the fact that it's legal means that it's done in the open. So I also hate admin fees, even though I now don't pay them. Uh, but we have a process that we can use to say, actually, I don't like that thing. They're doing it in the open. They're declaring it. They're paying taxes on it. But I can say I don't like that. And I can write to my MP and say, this is the law you would need to change. And if you did change that because they're operating within the law, they're not criminals. They will stop doing it. And the problem with illegal corruption is that, like, I can say I can write to my MP and say, I don't like this. And he will go, yeah, I don't like it either. That's why it's a crime. And then where do we go? It maybe he can write a letter to whoever the police and crime commissioner is to, to try and get them to do something about it. But they already should be doing something about it because it's a crime. And so we have much less we have much fewer avenues by which we can influence the behavior. And the fact that some things are legal means that we have more avenues through which we can influence it. And in a way, the expectation would be that we'd start there, that we could change the government to people who will act on it as a public policy issue uh, because it's a policy that could be changed it could be different so so corruption change that has a, an intrinsic connection to democracy then right uh i mean i guess there's a really interesting question as to whether corruption is a different thing in democracy versus non-democracy mm. but certainly in a democratic state um, those things which are legal are much harder to see from my point of view as corruption because it is easier for us to lobby to change it. In an autocratic state, I guess there's really interesting questions about whether everything is inherently corrupt or whether nothing is corrupt because uh, like what what are the criteria against which we will judge a dictator who can legalize everything they do either before the fact or after the fact? Or maybe there is no law anyway. Um, and then what? The, the kind of that's interesting. There's a few points I want to get back to, but you, you so you said like illegal corruption. So just as a qu quickly then, good examples of legal corruption? Because that's uh, something that, that doesn't people I think I inherently just my model of the world is corruption's illegal, it's immoral, but of course there, there must be a, be legal corruption. So my favourite example of legal corruption is civil asset forfeiture, uh, which is a procedure in the United States, uh, which still exists in some states. It's been outlawed in some others. But the police are able to bring a, a case against or a charge against directly against an item of property. Uh, you are not charged with a crime. It is your property which is brought to task. And so you get cases like United States versus $5,300 in cash. 
um like this is a genuine case right because the property is on trial not you um the property doesn't have rights and so if the police seize your goods uh they so they pull you over you're driving in your car you have money say in your glove box uh and they say hey do you have any money in your car you say yes i do uh, it's my money i have it and they say well I think that this is going to eventually be used in the the proceed uh, like in crime. Uh, so I think you're going to buy drugs with this. So I'm going to seize it. Um, I'm not charging you with a crime. I'm not saying you've done anything illegal, but I'm saying that that property at one point in its future, near future, will be used as part of a crime. And so I'm just going to take it. And we're going to bring a charge directly against that property, not against you. And so you don't have a right to like a public uh, attorney because you're not being charged with anything. Your property is. That's incredible. Um, wow. And if you want to challenge it, you will need to pay a lawyer. Uh, in some jurisdictions, the first place you go is to see a, a courtroom that's staffed by a prosecutor, not by a judge. Um, and they put so many hurdles in place that actually you could easily spend more than fifty three hundred dollars. Um they also sometimes seize houses. Uh, there was one case where someone's son had sold a small amount of heroin uh, from the house. He just lived there with his parents. Uh, they were not they were not involved in any criminality. That it was never alleged. Um, but they didn't need to be convicted of anything because it was the house that they brought the charge against. Um, and I can see it as nothing other than corrupt. Uh, when you see videos of it in action. Uh, the police just shouting at people, got any cash in the vehicle? Um, like it, it looks like a shakedown. Um, and I, they, the police in America can sometimes keep up to 100% of this money for themselves. So there's a clear private benefit to it as well. Wow. But it's legal. Um, if you uh, Google um, civil asset forfeiture, uh, last week tonight did a really interesting segment on it a few years back. That I definitely would recommend they have uh, sections from uh, like recording like police recordings because they got the uh, body camera footage. Um, and there was also a really interesting one where they interviewed a guy um, who had had loads of money taken from him. And he said to the police officer, yes, I've got all this money, but I can show you I've got active bids on a vehicle on eBay. I'm intending to go buy it. That's what this money's for. Um, and the police officer didn't believe him and took the money. And when they looked at the police report, nowhere in his report did it say that the person had explained where the money came from and why it was there. And they interview the police officer and say to him, you know, well, why why didn't you include this in your report? He did tell you, didn't he? He's like, yeah. So why isn't it in the report? And he's like, I don't know. If it's not in there, it's not in there. I don't know. Uh, um, and maybe so, that's something we'll link up as well when we post this podcast because that, yeah, that sounds yeah that sounds like a good word wow so okay i mean that's incredible right and um, another thing that you've said that's really that the thing about the autocratic point was either either there's no corruption or the entire thing is corrupt and when the entire thing is corrupt that also becomes interesting because that perception does exist within liberal democracies right i mean just look at the american vote counting thing so clearly there's a sort of connection too between the use of corruption as a political tool to fuel populism and all this kind of stuff right uh and the perception is so important 
you know, in the Q, and the, I mean, in the conspiracy theory, the QAnon stuff, right? You know, what you said earlier about the Democrats and this whole belief that there's this ring, you know, of, of politicians with Democrats. And so, and, and so you, I guess, and, and in some ways, we could say that this is there's institutionalized corruption, legal corruption. That's a great example. I've never, heard, I think you actually might have told me that once before in the office. I just, it's, ringing, it's ringing a bell now. But it's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it is incredible. I also See, if you think, listen to what I say, eventually, eventually you get comes back. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want because remember one of the things we did talk about before, and then I will hand over to Ads for this this hedge fund thing. He knows a hell of a lot more about that than I do. Um, could it be said, right, that in certain contexts, different contexts, different norms, cultural norms, whatever, when you've got because think about that autocratic thing, when you've got a system that itself has a sort of level of nepotism built within the bureaucracy right maybe a, a level of corruption built within the bureaucracy so you've got to pay for this pay for that admin fee blah 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 and then somebody asks you to grease their palm a bit that you know it could you it be said that that sort of minor corruption in certain ways helps you get what you need and you're and you actually deserve you deserve what you need, right? It, because otherwise you're going to be taken advantage of. Things are going to be put on your way. So is it sometimes that corruption can actually be a moral good, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in certain contexts? Am I pushing that too far? I mean, so I, I more or less agree, yes. But the situations in which I think it is like that are really limited. Mm. So if you have like a truly command-style economy where people uh, so there's a really nice paper actually about uh, from a guy who's now like a professor of economics but used to live in soviet georgia and literally him and his brother ran a shop and he explains exactly how corruption works like he literally used to hide underneath the uh, counter in the shop and they'd illegally change the prices on things so he'd be listening to try and like his brother's saying oh no no we don't have any shoes in that size and the person would go no i really want some shoes in that size you go no it's impossible and he's listening how much is this guy prepared to pay and then he'll write the price down all illegally and pass them up but in that system in soviet georgia um and, and i assume a lot of the other soviet republics in during the time when they had the, the most commanding style of economy you have situations where like people People want to be able to produce goods. Factories are capable of producing goods. People want to buy those goods, but they're not allowed to produce them because the government says you can't. And everything has to be sold at one price. Um, and so everybody wants those goods, but there are not enough of them to go around. The price can't change to reflect the differential levels of demand. And so most people have to go without. And corruption allows you to illegally keep that factory working so that you can produce stuff to sell to people at a price that they're prepared to pay so they can get the goods that they want. And it is hard to see who loses other than an autocratic state who's desperate to maintain control illegitimately of every facet of the economy. And in that case, I think there's a clear argument that corruption is more efficient than not being corrupt. More gets done. But command style economies are really rare um like north korea i think is just about the only one that i can think of that still exists not even like belarus has that style of economy and so when you're outside of that most controlling kind of situation um 
and you have an ability to get by while operating within the rules, possibly even try and change the rules, uh, because in a lot of autocratic countries, they actually don't want corruption. So a correctly framed anti-corruption movement could be really well received. Then I think there's kind of a moral imperative to not do it. If you're in China, for example, like Xi Jinping does not want corruption. Now, the way that that anti-corruption movement is branded, probably you would have to carefully think about. But he is someone who does not want corruption in the way that we don't want corruption. And so if you're reporting local officials who are asking for bribes, the central like the, the central uh, Politburo of uh, the Chinese Communist Party, they're going to be pleased to hear that because they don't want it either. And so it becomes much harder to say, oh, but corruption is probably still OK, because you have a government system that actually does not want that. Um, and so maybe you have a responsibility, even if it means temporarily going without, um, so long as you're not starving, so long as you can put a roof over your head, maybe you have a responsibility to go without and just report it when it happens. Oh, God, it just opens up so many other questions. I think one that, so you've mentioned the hedge fund thing a couple of times, and this is, I was trying to think of, so trying to relate this to sort of something very current and I went down a bit of a rabbit hole with the, the GameStop thing the other day and I was like trawling through the Reddit reading all these articles and posts that people put up and um, I'm not going to go into the details of that because it's quite complicated and I'm sure someone that understands finance far better than I can uh, would give a better rundown of it but there was a this this post that caught my attention and it kind of relates to this was around um, the the fines so this person was talking about and i've actually got a better example of this um but so yeah first of all they, they were talking about how in this case the cert this hedge fund it was actually in their interest to lie about their positions which would have been illegal under certain laws or whatever but actually the fine for doing so would be in the tens of millions and the potential losses would be in the billions so my kind of question was in that kind of case how do we prevent it but i've got i've actually got a better example from so i used to work at a company um that held i think it at the time it held the record in the eu for a corruption fine and it was in like it was like 300 million euros or something nuts um and vaguely remember it was around something like the taiwanese government they paid every official in the government to vote for them for a military contract and they won it so they got to build the taiwanese government like a dozen frigates and well actually the, the profit on one frigate was roughly equivalent to the fine that they got for doing it so in that case right so when you stand to make huge gains despite the the kind of things that are put in place to to dissuade you from being corrupt what what could like we as a society do or do we is it just we need to make the punishments more severe like how how do you stop that from happening again or is, yeah, can we? So I think there's uh, definitely something interesting that's going on there. There's a literature that argues that a fine is a price. Um, and if you know what the fine is, you can just factor that in. It's, it's just a cost of doing business. You can just work that out. Um, so there's a sense in which, OK, if a fine is a price, we need to like play with the big boys. You know, they've got hundreds of millions or billions to to play with and we need to raise to that level 
Um, the other alternative is to start making people at the top criminally liable. If you look at the Bribery Act, it's actually a crime to fail to prevent bribery in a corporate organisation. Um, it is not as it, it, the, the punishment is nowhere near as serious as actually paying the bribe itself. Uh, paying or taking a bribe, I think, is about 14 years in prison at max. Yeah. Um, but certainly, like, that is not just a price anymore. If you look at the uh, like acting head of Samsung, whose uh, prison sentence has just been reinstated, uh, I've not followed if he's actually gone back to prison yet. Um, like, five years in prison is a, like... You can't just write that off uh, no matter how long you're going to live for. That's a decent chunk of your life. And so that possibility of coming back to like really punitive, uh, I guess, responses is perhaps a viable one. Uh, in general, I'm not very in favour of uh, using the law as a regulatory tool. I'd much rather try and engineer a situation where people understood like the moral value of things. But companies go so far to strip out the moral value of things. Uh, it's like a system designed to commodify everything. So there could be an element of that. But, uh, and I'm quite happy for you to come back, I have a slightly different question for you. Uh, do you own shares in GameStop? And if you did, would it be corrupt for you to bring this up? <laughs> uh. No, I don't. Um, would it be happy to bring it up? I, well, what would I seek to gain? Yeah, I suppose it would, wouldn't it? Because I'm no, no, because no, I don't think so. Because I've not been given any power here, really, other than the the following, the small following that say this was a huge show, right? And there were millions of people listening, then I would have an influence. And actually certain people on Reddit did this, right? So Elon Musk very famously, I think he, he, he tweeted GameStonk or something like that. And the price went up supposedly. And so there's a very real case of someone if he has so yeah, if he has is that corrupt? I don't think so. He's not been the public hasn't voted him into that position. He's he's kind of he's gathered it through private means and through the the natural sort of selection of celebrity and success and things like that. So I I think in the context we're speaking about, no. If this was built heavily on a this is a service and actually yeah I, I've been sort of elected into running this, then yeah. Maybe. I actually didn't bring it up because I do own shares in GameStop, so and there are there are sponsors for today's show. So <laughs> I don't know shares, and they're not. Um, okay, I've got one really quick. I don't know how well because we've got to wrap up really, I guess. And I, I'm sure Ed's got a couple of things he wants to mention at the end, perhaps. But just uh, uh, just a silly question, I guess. Bear in mind everything we said about defining corruption problematic. There's lots of different views on it. You know, people in your field, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So obviously your opinion is going to be subjected to blah blah blah. But there is an index for corruption. How corrupt is the UK? Uh, I think the easiest answer I can give you is a little bit, but <laughs> not as much as most other places. Um, the Corruption Perceptions Index says that I think in the latest one we're like 14th, 15th in the world. Um, I could easily believe that to be the case. I do not know anyone who has ever bribed a police officer. Uh, and I know people who've been in positions where if they could have bribed a police officer, it would have been the cheaper thing to do. Um, 
I knew someone who got arrested with 10,000 quid in his back pocket that he could not explain why he had that money. Uh, he got reported because he was taking out such large amounts from bank accounts and moving them abroad. Uh, if he could have got away with bribing the police officer who arrested him for 10,000 quid, that would have been hugely beneficial for him. He did not even try because of course he didn't, because all it would do is add another crime on. Mm. Um, so in that context, I think not very corrupt. Um, there are other elements of corruption where maybe we are a little bit less good. Uh, they're things that don't tend to touch the average person, but our financial services industry has uh, in the past been quite poor at regulating these things. Uh, London property in particular has been a great place to hide corrupt money because we ask so few questions. And then I guess that's a question of if we are in some senses facilitating corruption and we're benefiting from it, uh, people who are stealing from their people, but their people are not our people. Um, so we, we sometimes have had a habit of turning a blind eye to corruption abroad because, well, of course they do it. Um, but so long as it's not actually happening on our land, maybe it's okay. So those problematic things aside, and they are problematic, I think it's not very corrupt uh, in the sense of like the day-to-day -day thing. I have never paid a bribe, nor have I ever been asked to pay a bribe ever for anything. Um, and I don't know anyone who has in the UK. So actually, interesting, I just realised that, yeah, my wife has been offered bribes, right? So my wife's an ecologist. Yeah. And she, um, so essentially, if you're going to build a road or knock down a, an old hospital or something, you need to, it's legislated that you need to get an ecologist to come in and check there's no um, protected species in the area. And if there are, she, she can help you put mitigation in place and get rid of them, right? um, move them on or whatever in a, in a safe, humane way. And she knows people, and I'm sure she's been approached as well, that have offered to pay her very high sums of money to just sign off reports. And in fact, there was stories of like, you hear these urban myths through our industry of people going going to a site and seeing like three buildings and then going back and there's only two and being asked like, oh yeah, can you just pretend there was only ever two, please? And things like that. So that that is corruption to an extent. Yeah. Uh, the real interesting question is then, uh, what does your wife do about it? Um, because on the one hand, there's this... Have you seen this it's a really difficult situation and I, I'm so bad like socially um, that I, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, I, I can say like I, I'm not saying I would take the money. I would never take the money. But like what you're supposed to do is say this is corruption. I'm going to report you under the bribery act. This carries up to 14 years in prison. I'm not that kind of guy. That's why I chose to be an academic. I wanted the the ivoriest of ivory towers that I could stay in and stay away from people. So I never had to interact with them. Um, so I don't know what I would do. Uh, I'm pleased to say no one's ever tried to bribe me for a better grade. Because uh, my answer would be no. And I don't know if I'd report and probably wouldn't. I'd say just stop being bad at academia. Um, it's super easy to get a good grade on your own. You don't even need to pay for it. Have you tried like learning? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you um, if there's anything you'd like to promote because I know you hate uh, plugging. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I don't really believe in uh, advertising. So if people organically say, I'd like to read your research, then you can do. That's fine. Uh, but I'm not going to advertise it. 
Maybe we'll put a link in, you know. Because I'm sure there will be people that would want to organically uh, read your research after this uh, podcast. I don't know. Any, anything from yourself, Adam? A load more questions, but I think, again, this is another one I think we could do a follow-up. It's really, It's been really interesting. Mm. Um, go away and digest some stuff. I've definitely learned something, so thank you. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Jonathan. That was really good. Um, one day I might see you again in the office. Yeah. Uh, um, we can have a laugh about what you're drawing on your face shield again while I'm teaching. <laughs> I won't make you tell the story, Simon, uh, because maybe it would make your friend think that you are more childish than he currently no, is. I think he already knows what I drew on my face shield whilst he was teaching your lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see you on the boards. <laughs> Oh, cool. Thanks so much, Jonathan. That's great. Right. Thanks so much, everyone. Cheers. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of What Do You Think About X? As always, if you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at AboutXPodcast or you can join us on Discord. Any and all feedback is greatly appreciated. If you'd like to catch our other episodes or want to share this content, you can find us on most podcasting sites by searching for What Do You Think About X? Or you can catch us at anchor.fm forward slash about X podcasts.